Hi guys, this is Tony, the founder of Shelf Help, and welcome to a new episode of our podcast, which, just like the Shelf Help Club, is all about helping you to help yourself. Shelf Help is the world's first self-help book club, creating content and community to support better mental, emotional and social well-being. Because it's okay not to be okay, but there's so much we can do to feel better. And in this podcast, I interview all kinds of self-help authors and experts on ways we can create positive change and improve our mood, mindset and resilience so that we can create lives that we love. This is our last episode of 2020 and we are closing out a crazy year with an awesome collection of tips, tricks and easy self-help switches from presenter, businesswoman and now author Amanda Byram. Amanda's broadcasting career has spanned more than two decades. She is the CEO and owner of the sportswear brand Body by Byram, as well as a certified personal trainer and a student of nutrition coaching and NLP. She is also a recovering perfectionist, and The Switch, her first book, is a tried and tested guide to how she overcame the pressures of perfection to find health and happiness. The Switch is a distillation of all the techniques and strategies Amanda used to get herself off that perfection treadmill, as she calls it and switch to a balanced lifestyle where food, fitness, family, friends, and self-care are all in sync. We like to find a lesson in every situation at Shelf Help. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that chasing perfectionism is futile. So I think Amanda is the perfect person to celebrate the end of this year with, as well as to share advice on making the most of the next one. Warning, there is a little bit of light swearing in this conversation, so it's possibly not appropriate for very small or very sensitive ears. Enjoy. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the Shelf Help Podcast. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. And that was one hell of an intro (laughs) that I now have to live up to. But hey, (laughs) it's all good. (laughs) Indeed. The thing is, you have you have a lot to say, I feel like. I do. I feel like I'm at an age where I've I've lived quite a lot and and I've learned a lot through all of the things that I've done and through this this crazy brilliant wonderful strange journey we call life and you know I think um it's interesting even listening to you talking about me because it's one of the things that I tell people about in the book and and how we can really uh, affect our moods and our mental health is by you know, reflecting on the things that we've done and being proud of them. Because very often we we sort of, we meander through life and we don't really pat ourselves on the back. We don't really celebrate our little wins. We don't really tell ourselves we're brilliant, do we? We sort of go through life and move from one thing to the next. So just listening to you, uh, you know, even me having done a lot of work on myself and having studied a lot about all this stuff and, and literally having written a book on it, I listen to you and I go, oh, I've done all right, haven't I? That's really good. And sort of like gave myself an internal emotional pat on the back. So thank you for that wonderful intro. And I think you talk in the book about um, learning to accept compliments is actually a really important part of self-help and um, I suppose self-love. So I suppose that that's all part of it, isn't it? It's really huge. And I think it's it tends to be, I'm Irish and I've lived in the UK for a very long time. I also lived in America for a long time as well. And I think that it is a very Irish English thing, actually rejecting compliments. And I don't think we mean to do it for any other reason that we just think it's a little bit wanky to accept one because we've sort of been brought up to think in a certain way that if we say thank you, that means I think I'm brilliant. And first of all, you are, so why not accept it? And secondly, you know, what's really important is the more you reject 
compliments. The more your inner voice or the voice on your shoulder, people call it very, very many things, your, your negative voice, your inner chatter, your mental chatter, whatever you call it. It tends to start agreeing with those rejections and very, very slowly you sort of build up those rejections and you feel that you aren't worthy of a compliment. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you look amazing and your, your dress is gorgeous. Well, of course, I'm going to squat that away with lightning fast speed because I couldn't possibly accept the fact that you think I look amazing because then you'll think I think I'm brilliant and you'll think I'm an egomaniac and you'll think I'm vain and I'm full of myself was actually the opposite is true. And I found that I was I was such a huge compliment rejector because I thought I wanted everyone to feel like we were all on the same playing field. If they liked my dress, I didn't want to feel like I had something better. So, oh, this old rag from Topshop, it cost me a fiver, even if it didn't. You know, you look gorgeous. No, I look terrible. No, I look fat. No, I look haggard. No, I look tired. I, all of these things that... The instant you say that, apart from yourself believing it over time, the person giving you the compliment is thinking, oh, well, this is awkward. Now I have to go back and say, no, 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 really, you do. And how long can someone do that for? You know, it's, it's really tiring and exhausting. So you're basically telling them that they're full of crap. They've lied to you. They don't know what they're talking about. And, and for all it took would have been a simple thank you. That's really kind of you. And, and when I started doing that, I can't even begin to tell you, Tony, the huge, vast difference it makes. And, you know, it's, it's a really subtle difference. It's, it's not something that you sort of, you know, you tick a box and you go, right, I've com been complimented. I've accepted it. It's over time, you suddenly feel like you're worthy of these compliments because you are. Um, so yeah, it's a very, very simple, simple change and a simple switch tip that I, I do talk about a lot in the book. I think that's our first piece of homework for today <laughs> from the podcast. <laughs> the book, it's a kind of a guide to getting off this perfection treadmill. Mm. So how, as someone who's been in the public eye for a lot, most of her life and her career, um, how has perfectionism shown up in your life? And and also, what's so bad about it? Because for some people, perfectionism just means uh, aiming high. Yes, uh, very much no. <laughs> yes, I understand the question. No is the answer. Um, so getting off the perfection treadmill, interestingly, the reason it's, it's the tagline to the book, so the book's called The Switch, The Secret to Overcoming the Pressures of Perfection and Finding Health and Happiness. And the reason it is the tagline is because when I started out to write the book. It was it was initially how to look good in your 40s and beyond, how to you know look good, feel good, what to eat in your 40s. And very soon I realized by telling my story and by writing the book that looking good was actually a byproduct of feeling good. And feeling good was only ever going to become a byproduct of looking deep within. So I went deep and I searched deep. And you know the, the deeper I looked, the more I started to realize that the root cause of unhappiness um, is speaking unkindly to yourself, beating yourself up emotionally, mentally and physically, striving for perfection all the time, the best sister, the best mother, the best cousin, the best partner, the best daughter, the best person in the office, trying to do all of these things. And especially as women, we sort of really try to juggle everything. And if it's not perfect, we, we beat ourselves up over it. And so, you know, the perfection treadmill is only a part of the book. I obviously talk about things like food and exercise and calm and goal setting and how we eat and why we eat and 
why we shouldn't have fear, shame and guilt around food and the consumer and the diet industry as a whole. However, everything seems to really come back around to this perfection issue because it's it, perfect is literally shoved down our throats. You think about through advertising, you think about how to get the perfect figure, how to get the perfect man, how to look perfect on social media. You know, all of these things. I used to wear a perfectionist around my neck, literally like a badge of honor. And the more I understood it, the more I realized it wasn't something to be proud of um, because perfection doesn't exist. So you will literally continue searching for perfection until the day you die, but it doesn't exist. So, so understanding that was really, really key for me. And, and when I delved a bit deeper into it, I, I came across a study in the 90s by uh, guys, two guys called Hewitt and Flett. And it's called the multidimensional perfectionism scale. It kind of does sound like something a perfectionist would create, but <laughs> me with my lists, I'll tell you what, I'll get a spreadsheet and I'll tell you exactly what this means. I do love a spreadsheet. Um, and so there are three types of perfectionists um, or perfectionism because we don't like labels. So calling yourself a perfectionist is the first thing you should not do because we are not anything. Everything is sort of labeled and made up, which can be very divisive. So a self-oriented perfectionist tends to set his or herself really high standards, right? So goals and standards, both in their workplace and you know in their love life or relationships with friends. So if they lose a job or lose out to a competitor in a race or they don't get the bonus or they fail a test at school or they break up with a partner, there's often that anxiety because if you're expecting that perfection and, and that strive to be perfect, when it, when it crumbles, which it inevitably will, and that's okay, then you're going to be highly self-critical. And then the second type of perfectionism is um, perfectionism that people think that people around them should be perfect i'm doing my job right why aren't you you know i just performed on tv why did you not write the script properly why did you drop the camera why did the sound guy fail i mean obviously i'm talking about within my world because that's you know part of what i do for a living or you know i've got a, a, an activewear range why is the stitching wrong that person stitching it was, they had one job to do you think about how many times have you had a ta got a taxi and they take you the wrong day and you get out and you say to your friends oh my god they had literally one job to do <laughs> and the truth is is that they don't just have one job none of us do we've all got a million jobs to do Yes, that's his line of work, but what's to say he, you know, the, the guy in the taxi didn't have a death in the family or didn't have a divorce that week? Well, there's so much stuff that we've all got going on at, at the same time. So other oriented basically are, are highly critical of those who don't meet their expectations. And so if you think about it, that kind of perfectionism is always going to cause confrontation and it's always going to cause problems within a relationship, albeit a sexual relationship, a friendship or a work relationship. And then the final one is socially prescribed perfectionism. And this is the one I think is really dangerous, especially now that we have social media. Now, this is a form of perfectionism where people believe that other people expect them to be perfect. So they're not expecting it of themselves. They expect that others expect them to be perfect. So the pressure from a parent, the pressure from a boss, the pressure from a child. And these days, the pressure from social media. So this, this is an issue because they, they will set themselves these really high standards and seek the approval from others. And, and again, 
you know, you could have parents that are never going to be satisfied with the job that you, you do or, you know, that, that think you're, you don't come up to scratch as a child or a boss that's never going to think you're the best in the office. So you're always going to feel rejected. And consequently, your self-esteem is always going to take a hit. And then that's going to kind of, you know, emanate these negative emotions of shame and guilt. So I think the answer to what's so bad about that perfectionism is, is again, it just doesn't exist because we're sort of craving for and we're looking for this story that doesn't exist. You know, we're creating our own reality. So we create our own normal. We create our own perfect. So I think the pressures of expecting it or expecting it of others or being expected of is just something we need to completely dismiss from our lives altogether. And I think once we can start to understand that, that's the road to really getting off the perfection treadmill once and for all. Listening to you talking about those those three different types of perfectionism, all of them seem to be quite um highlighted now in this in the pandemic especially uh, uh, what sprung to my mind was that we all expect other people to act a certain way but then also we're, we're expected to do it perfectly and to okay. achieve all this stuff in lockdown so it's actually really relevant now isn't it it's so relevant and look I, I'm not gonna lie and I and I that's the one thing I think you know that that's quite apparent in the book is that I don't lie about anything because what's the point you know, I've suffered from every single one of those types of perfectionism and and each one of those types of perfectionism has has it's never ended well, put it that way. There's been instances where, you know, I've I've expected it of others, didn't end well. I expected it of myself, didn't end well. I cancelled a wedding when I was 38 and I spiraled into a depression because I thought the expectation of myself and others' expectations of me were just so huge that I'd let the world down that the world was going to implode, that it was going to stop spinning on, on its axis, that everyone was going to hate me forevermore. And you just realize that those things aren't true. And it's the same with the pandemic. You know, uh, it, it's it's a, a very strange time for everyone. And I think we all feel or have felt at some times during this year that, you know, we should be doing more or we shouldn't be doing more or how are we going to cope or you know, uh, homeschooling and living in the same home as a partner where you've never done that before for hours and hours on end. And it's it's been a really difficult time. And, you know, I know that it's difficult to people for people to sort of say, well, how do I how do I have this lifestyle, this balanced lifestyle during a pandemic? Well, I suppose you have to ask yourself, what is a balanced lifestyle? Are you really seeking the perfect life? You know, is life in the pandemic supposed to be normal? Or is it supposed to be completely imperfect and, and fine and, and confused, but understanding and, and, and really exploring what that is and coming out the other side, learning a completely different side of yourself? You know, I think a lot of us think, well, this isn't the environment that I'm used to. And so therefore, how do I do the perfect things that I do every day? How do I get up and I go to work and I get the kids off to school and I'm used to this routine? Now what? So for me, I think it's really important to understand what is a balanced lifestyle. What for me, balanced is a balanced mind, a balanced mood, mindful actions, you know, balanced in my eating and my activity, all of it sort of like a balanced sort of 360 with everything I do. And all of these things have to be leveled off um, because, you know, the decisions that we make now our thoughts equal our choices equal the actions that we do and then the consequence off the back end so we have the choice to do the things on a daily basis that 
you know, we, we just need to understand that we've got to release the expectations altogether because if we believe that there's an expectation, it's, it's, a, long, it's a long, tough life to, to, to sort of live up to these expectations that really don't exist unless we put them on ourselves. You, you talked about balance there, and I love the idea that it's about um, mindful actions, balanced mind, yeah. balanced mood. Um, and you, you've worked really hard to, to get that balance in your life, and you still work hard at it. It's, it, it is for everybody, isn't it? It's, um, it's, a, it's a work in progress, I think we, we'd Absolutely. like to call it. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, I am, I, I'm always learning. You know, every single day I learn something new about myself. Yes, I've done a lot of work. Yes, my thoughts and my actions and my, my, my physical body and my spirituality have all really gone from manic to extremely calm and understanding. And yet there are days when I, you know, when I have to stop myself, I've now, what, what I've done is I've taught myself, I've done the homework. So I've taught myself how to get out of those sort of those, those loops or those sort of vicious circles when they happen. And, you know, I, I by no means wake up and have the perfect day because it doesn't exist. There's always moments where I have to stop myself. I have to breathe. And literally, you know, something happened earlier and, and I said something to my husband and I was a bit frustrated and I just stopped and I went. And he went, that's right, breathe. I could hear him in the other room. And, you know, I surprise myself all the time because if that was me five years ago, I would have screamed, you know, it, the profanities. Mm. You know, NLP is a really big thing for me, neuro-linguistic programming. Understanding the words that come out of my mouth mean something. Even if I don't mean them, they mean something. So be careful what you say. Very often I, I speak to women and men all the time about, you know, anger is 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 really volatile and angry reactions you have the power to change that and you know once you say something out loud it's out there it's in the ether forevermore you know it's it nowadays it's on social media forevermore it's on the internet so if you change the way you say things it changes the way you think things and in turn your thoughts create your actions and it's it's almost like a chain of events you know it's like a necklace that's sort of got all these links on it and one leads to the other and often you'll come across this little knot in a necklace which is always a bugger to un unknot but you know you sit and you do the work and you, you you breathe and you get your long nails or a pin and you unpick it and you unpick that tapestry that the things that you've done in the past you're like Wah! I know I'm doing this wrong and I just can't help myself. You know what? I often hear people say, oh, I'm just like that. It's who I am. You know, I was born like that. Or, you know, I'm a type personality or I'm, 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 you know, a self-sabotager. You're not. You're none of those things unless you choose to be. You weren't born like that. One of, one of the really powerful sort of images I give is, you know, when we're young, we are sort of untouchable, right? Untouchable. We are the, the prodigy children. Our, our, our parents, you know, tell us we are the best at everything. We sing the best. We, we crap the best. We, you know, we, we come down the slide the best. We do everything brilliantly. And then, of course, as you get a little bit older, you're told by the kids in the playground that you're not quite as good as they are or that you might get bullied. Or, and then you get into your teens and the same sort of things happens, you know, social media nowadays and, 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 teenagers being cruel for want of a better word they can be then you get into the workplace you don't get the bonus your boss tells you off you're not quite good at this 
And before you know it, you're in your 30s and your 40s and you're you're paying a lot of money for therapy or you're buying a lot of self-help books because somewhere along the line, you went from being the most adored being on the planet to I now hate myself because I am now a self-loather. I am hypercritical. I'm all these things. But all these things are is they're monikers, they're names, they're badges that have been sort of thrown at us from afar and you can take them off, you know? When I was in a, in a really sort of in a whirlwind emotionally, I remember just feeling so heavy and I was waking up every morning really heavy and I'd write notes to myself, which I look back on now and I, I don't recognize that person that I was. And I remember just thinking, you know, everything is sad. I'm sad. The world is sad. There's so much I've got to stress, stress, stress about. And I felt like there was this cloak that I now talk about. Take the cloak off. Just take it off. You've got the power to do that. Um, and speaking of the word stress, by the way, big NLP tip, stop saying the word stress because the word stress is really stressful. You know, the second you say that word, it's like, you know, if somebody screams F-U-C-K, you know, someone's angry. Someone, you say the word stress to yourself. I mean, how many times a day do you hear people say, I'm so stressed, F-M-L, Oh my God, this is such a stressful, I'm really depressed. Oh God, I'm really anxious. Now these are all things, you know, depression is a big topic and it is a very, very, very important topic to discuss. However, we do tend to throw these words around really loosely. And if we're not careful, we will spiral into these situations that we're sort of handing to ourselves. So, you know, it really is about changing the mindset, switching your mind, switching your language, switching how you talk to yourself, um, so, yeah, I just think they're all really important tools of just being. And again, it comes back to being kind to yourself, you know. Totally. You touched on the idea of tools there and you've mentioned breath, um, the power of language, changing our mindsets. I think you even talked about journaling briefly, mm. like writing notes down, all of which is all stuff that um, the shelf helpers love to do and talk about. <laughs> and the book is like a, it's like lots of different things that you've picked up, isn't it, along the way from everything mm -hmm. you've learned. Are there any um, like any more strategies or techniques that you think would be particularly useful for people to do for be, to be doing now if they're feeling that kind of overwhelm or fear about about what's been going on this year and what might be to come yeah i mean that that is the thing isn't it you know everything is very uncertain at the moment um and nobody really knows what's going to happen you know um i think what's really important is to understand how brilliant humans are and how we adapt um as long as we accept and then we can affect, right? So if, if, if we sort of accept the situation we're in, take a deep breath and then sort of figure out how to get around it. Because, you know, you've got two choices. We can either sit and look at the situation and, and, and sort of be upset and be miserable and scared and fearful, which is totally understandable. But then what happens after that is that things will inevitably sort of go the wrong way and then you'll have a self-fulfilling prophecy of well I knew that was going to happen I called it or weigh up your options you know just just be hopeful and happy and manifest great things and how you can do that a really great tip is to have a manifest diary so a sort of a cosmic order and write lists about the things that you want to achieve the way do you want things to go even if some of them feel so unbelievably untouchable right now, especially with the year we're having. 
sort of write your dreams, goals. Goal setting is so important, but you have to understand that, you know, you can't just say, I want this and I want it tomorrow. You have to work towards it. And a part of doing that is just, is planning. You know, you've got to plan what you want, when you want it, want it, how you're going to get there and have accountability for those goals. Another really important thing for me has been gratitude. You know, you think of the things, my God, the things we took for granted before 2020. You know, I've not seen my parents since February and it's the, it's the longest I've not seen them for. However, I am grateful that they're still alive. You know, I've got that to be grateful for. I'm grateful that I have my health. I'm grateful that we have FaceTime. I'm grateful that we live in an era where we can take boats and planes and, well, eventually. Um, and I'm grateful that we have internet so that I can FaceTime them and talk to them like, you know, you couldn't have done 100 years ago. So I think very often when we are feeling blue and we're feeling down, the last thing you want to do is be grateful, right? You just want to F everything, F this, F that, F the world, I'm over it, done. You know, you just, you have to do the work and sit down and go, okay, this is what I'm grateful for. And you will find, I promise you will find that this changes your mood drastically. If not at that moment in time, maybe the second time you do it or the third time you do it. You know, I have to laugh at, at sort of the, the, the things that we learned from 2020. And, you know, you don't need as much toilet paper as you thought you did, right? <laughs> we don't need gyms as much as we thought we did. We can work out at home. We don't need to dress up. We can work from home. You don't have to drink alcohol to have a good time. Yeah. So you read you read a lot of books, obviously, and you've done a lot of work. Are there any that are still on your list or any that you particularly love that you'd like to share with us? Oh, gosh. Um, I love uh, a book by Paolo Coelho that I'm sure a lot of people have read, um, and I'm sure you've read, called The Alchemist. And one of the reasons I love it is it's, uh, I'm, I'm really passionate about the universe. And I truly believe that there's, you know, we're all made of stardust. No matter what religion you are, you have to believe that we, you know, we are made up of particles of the universe and the Big Bang, etc. And I remember reading that book about, I don't know, 20 years ago. And immediately, um, within a very short space of time, I was in Los Angeles doing my first job. Um, because of, I don't know, what whatever had shifted in my mindset when I read the book. Then I read it again about a decade later and something else really shifted in me. And then again, about 10 years after that or five years, and, I, I, and every time I read it, I learned something completely different. And then another book off the back of that, which also has the universe in its title, um, is Gabrielle Bernstein, The Universe Has Your Back, which is a beautiful book and very, very much full of really practical tips. It's a very practical book on how to sort of to think positively and, and just to let go and, and say, to universe, you got this right, because I certainly haven't got it. <laughs> so if anyone's feeling really like, you know, if they're reading my book and they're still a little bit lost, I think that's a fantastic book to read. Um, and I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle. Um, he's, his new book was life-changing for me a couple of years ago because as much of the work that I've done, he, he talked about the ego in a really simplistic way. He calls it the pain body. And he talked about it being, you know, this thing that a lot of people do where they quite enjoy the pain and that's not physical pain it's the pain of complaining you know being down about something it's the pain of 
getting angry when they see someone's face. It's road rage. It's all of these things. And look, we all want to be the hero of our own story, right? That's sort of what ego is. If I'm in a car accident, the first thing I'm probably going to do, whether or not I'm in the right or wrong, is say, what did you do? What were you doing? You know, we always want to be right. That's just, that's human nature. We, we want to, don't want to be told. We want to tell. And, you know, I learned very, very big lessons from, from that book. I've, um, I'm still trying to get through the power of now. <laughs> Are you? Back to yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so interesting to hear you say that you've read, you read The Alchemist a few different times and take different things away because yeah. I have the same, I have the same things with, with like some favorite books, but then there's other ones that I just, at, at times I just can't, I just don't get. And then Absolutely. I go back a few years later or even months later and mm. it's like, ah, okay, I'm ready now. You have to be in the right mind frame, I think, you know, uh, uh, with everything in life. I used to smoke. I used to drink, I used to do a lot of things. And sometimes I think people really need a helping hand. You know, some people just, it takes them, you know, I, I, I do feel that I'm, I'm very open to learning. And so I think that has made my journey easier because, you know, as much as I've made the same mistakes over and over and over again, and I finally, my switch moment was when I was reaching 40 and I realized, oh, I'm so tired. I'm just exhausted with making the same mistakes over and over again, the same diets, the same relationship issues, the same problems just over and over again. And that was my switch moment. And I, I sort of tell people, look, you know, when they ask me about their switch moment, your switch moment is now, if you want it to be, you have to be ready. It's upon you when you choose it. You know, most of us know something has to give, right? Most of us know that we have either an issue with food or, or a relationship or those bad patterns that self-sabotaging that we get ourselves into, the cruel language we speak to ourselves. We know they're not right. It's just we find it difficult to get out of the pattern. I, I see the book as a metaphor for literally a hand reaching out to that person who can't, who doesn't know what to do next. And I thought, well, why don't I just put everything I've ever learned into one place chronologically, you know, easy to understand, sort of talk about the why and not the you should do this. I didn't want to preach to people because I didn't want to be preached to. And just sort of have that information and in, in one place, there you go. When you're ready, it's there for you. If that moment's not now, you know, I, I definitely talk about that. I love the Matrix and that moment in the Matrix when Morpheus asks Neo to choose either the red or, or the blue pill. The red, carry on like nothing's happened, nothing to see here, or take the blue pill and go on that massive adventure into the unknown. Like, this is your blue pill moment. And if you see it like that, rather than say, I'm in such a bad place, go, okay, I get that. However, think about the good place that you're going to go to when you do all that brilliant hard work, that that place of self-discovery, that place of self-discipline, that self-assessment. Yeah, it's going to be tough at times. Hell yeah, it's going to be amazing at the other end. So, you know, that for me is, is I get goosebumps just thinking about how excited I am almost for people's journeys to go, yeah, you've got a long way to go. Isn't that brilliant? You've got a brilliant journey ahead of you. So um, so I, I would always say to people, don't be afraid to make that switch. You know, you've just you got, got to grab it by the balls. <laughs> and I think um, Corona, lockdown life, mm. has maybe brought the 
these feelings of, like you said, something not being right in whatever area it could be, um, it's really brought them to the surface for lots of people because they've suddenly, we're less able to distract ourselves, aren't we? We're very much stuck with ourselves and, and um, yeah. yeah, our current situation. And what I would say to that, though, is isn't, isn't that potentially a really good thing? Because I, you know, plodding along like we had been doing for the longest time in general in situations, not even COVID, you know, we get into patterns as naturally as humans. We like pattern. We don't like disruption at all, which obviously is why, you know, something as the, the, the most overused word of this year was unprecedented, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Every, the year was unprecedented and it still is. And, yeah. you know, maybe sometimes in life that is what we need to sort of shake us out of this moment of, oh, wow, I was on a treadmill and I was, you know, I, I was used to it. And, and I thought that was a good thing. And maybe, you know, it, it's time to look inside. It's time to have those moments of fear and being scared because you never know what good can come out of it. You know, that lovely phrase, you know, through the cracks, you shines the light. And I love that because, you know, of all of the times that I've ended up being happy in my life, they've come from some really dark places. You know, they've come from being broken and cracked and depressed, you know, at, at one stage. And I don't think you can grow unless you're in a place of, of sort of uh, uncertainty, you know. And, and I think we should try and take that uncertainty and use it as opposed to being scared of it. Um, you know, not as easy in some situations. I absolutely understand that because, you know, people are losing lives and jobs and it is a really scary time for those those things. Um, I just think, you know, it, where we can, when we can, it's important to use that uncertainty and turn it into something good because, you know, you've got two choices. So you've got two pills to take, red or blue. <laughs> what are you what would you say is your relationship with yourself today? Oh, that's a lovely question. Um, I would say it's, I'm very proud of myself. Um, I'm, I look back on my former self, you know, my 15 year old self when, when sort of my disordered eating, my body image issues and my self-sabotaging and my cruel voice started. And I think back to, you know, how, how down on myself I was and how cruel to myself I was. So I think, you know, I've, I've come a very long way um, and I'm really proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of what I am capable, what we're all capable of achieving, you know. Um, and now I'm really respectful of myself, I suppose. You know, I didn't respect myself at all. I didn't respect my body. How could I when I was dieting and depriving it of so many gorgeous nutrients and foods and enzymes and molecules and things to make me glow and feel happy? Um, and I suppose I'm calm, you know, I, I used to be so manic in my, my mental patterns. And I think between my metabolism being calm, and my mind being calm, I think they're, they're the things that, you know, I'm really proud of. And my relationship with myself is, is sort of respectful, I think, if, it, if I had to put it into one word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love um, I love watching your Instagram. I've been loving the uh, wild swimming activities lately. <laughs> now that you're in Hove, and I really, I just get the impression that you just enjoy life so much. So to hear you talk about that version of you that I've never seen or known, yes. um, I just can't, I just can't really imagine it. So I think it's so cool now that you are 
you I think you say that you feel like you're in the best shape like mentally and physically and emotionally of your life at um how old are you you don't mind I'm 47 ma'am you know what I'd love to close today just uh what a a day in the life of Amanda Byram what do you do to make sure that you're, you're feeling good and healthy and happy Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, I suppose we could say what a day in the life used to be like. Um, I'll start with that. Uh, It used to be waking up, checking my phone, getting irate, getting anxious, having a tight chest, feeling beholden to the telephone, having lists and lists of things to do um, and beating myself up. You know, when's my workout going to be? What's my first meal going to be? Right. (laughs) You can hear it in my voice. There's definitely no calm there. There was no calm whatsoever. Now I wake up, my phone is in another room. It's not even in sight. I charge it somewhere else. I get up, I don't look at it. I do a little routine. I'm always challenging myself to 21 day challenges. The sea swimming is the current one. I have my little sort of my probiotic, my body brushing, my oil pulling, my cold shower, my celery juice shot, uh, then my coffee, you know, these are things I've sort of incorporated over time. And then I look at my phone. And Mm -hmm. I think this has made a profound difference to my life. There's nothing that is as important that cannot wait for 20 minutes. Trust me, there's nothing that important. If someone really needs to get you, they will get you somehow. Um, And then my day revolves around this calm, you know, it's sort of, I get things done. I have a to-do list. I love my to-do list now. Now I sort of, I cross things off and I celebrate those wins rather than say, oh, I didn't get everything done today. I celebrate the one scratch or the one delete, you know, and you're always going to have a to-do list. To-do lists always get longer. So trying to get that done all day, every day. And it's almost like that, that, that scene in The Shining when he's running down the corridor is getting longer. It's always going to get longer. You know, that was my to-do list, but now, you know, yay, I've got something else to do. Another challenge. You know, I, I, I no longer use the word busy. I call it productive because if you wake up and say, oh my God, I've got such a busy day. Immediately that puts pressure on you. If you wake up and say, I've got yeah. such a productive day ahead of me. Oh, I can't even tell you the difference. You're like, what? I have a productive day. Oh, hello. This is awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I just, it, it's, look, don't get me wrong. I obviously, there's some mornings I wake up and go, oh, I do have a lot to do today. Right. Like I should set the alarm and this needs to get done. Of course there's those days. I just now know how to cope with them. I now, I now know how to deal with that emotion and that feeling and I just you know I, I take it back a peg whereas before I would have upped the the anxiety a notch so yeah that's that's sort of yeah. my day and I think um, aiming for calm doesn't mean that you're not going to have busy days does it it of just course. means that when they happen you're able to navigate them uh in a better frame of mind you've hit the nail on the head that that's it that's all it's about you know it's not like you know she's got her her stuff together all day every day it's that Mm. i now know how to deal with the situation when it arises and they arise all the time they arise all the time and and they they will continue to arise all the time that's what life is you know unless you sort of sit in a in a kind of a, a shed in the middle of nowhere and switch off all of your technology you're always going to have people asking you things asking you to do things you know being pulled out left right and center it's just life you know mm-hmm. you just have to learn how to cope with those emotions you know that 
S-T-R-E-S-S word, which actually is not a scientific biological reaction. It's a reaction to things that happen. Um, and we can control that, those emotions. And I think that's really what it's about. It's about very many things, you know, being kind to yourself, loving yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror every now and then and saying, you're awesome. Hello. Um, and these things just like sort of, it's, I feel like it's a big jigsaw puzzle. And there's many, many pieces to the jigsaw. And take one jigsaw piece at a time. If you if you figure out how to control your, your uh, anxiety levels, that's one jigsaw piece. Brilliant. Pat on the back for that. Now, the next time you might figure out how to do something else, how to speak more kindly to yourself or to others around you, you know, eventually the jigsaw puzzle comes together. Well, I think that's pretty brilliant advice to finish on, isn't it? Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been yeah, so much good stuff in there. And like the book, just full of, so, like you said, it's not trying to do everything at once. It's like you take the bits that can work for you right now Absolutely. and just those small things hmm. will lead to huge changes. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for creating it and sharing it. And uh, thanks for your time today. I love talking to you, Tony. What a great way to finish our podcast series and this crazy year. I love Amanda's energy and lust for learning and life and hope you are leaving today's conversation on a high and excited for the new year and the next chapter of your life. If you're still listening, I'm assuming you are a serious self-help fan or at least somebody interested in making or being a force for positive change. And so I would love to invite you to join our Shelf Help family in 2021 as we work through a collection of personal development titles over the year chosen to nourish your mind, body and soul. Our first title of the year will be announced on the 1st of January 2021 and you can find out more about joining the conversation and our game-changing membership community, the Shelf Help Clubhouse, over at www.shelfhelp.club. Thank you for being here and a very happy new year to you.